I do thank you for your word, and even though these are not easy passages to understand, I pray that you'd open our eyes and give us wisdom to understand your truth. And we thank you that we can celebrate uh, your first coming with Christmas, but as we look at today, we see the reality that you are going to come a second time. I pray that our hearts and minds would be prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was uh, an employer who asked his employee, do you believe in life after death? The boss asked his employee. Yes, sir, the clerk replied. Well, that's good because after you left early yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped in to see you. (laughs) Well, the characters we're going to meet today in our study, they would not do that. They were filled with only speaking truth. Well, last week, Debbie did such a great job in teaching us the difficult uh, scene in the book in chapter 13 and the darkness and the horror of chapter 13. We saw the impact on all of mankind as people followed the Antichrist, received the mark that he demands in order to live in this world. And we saw the unholy trinity at their worst. We also saw the terror for all who come to believe the truth about Jesus being the Messiah and how they will be hunted down and killed under the reign of Antichrist. What we are yet to see are the trumpet and bowl judgments because we're still in this parentheses and we'll see that when we get back together after Christmas. So the announcements we are about to study are not chronological, they're not sequential in order. Actually, we start with the beginning of the millennial kingdom and then what the last section of this is the end of the tribulation and Christ's return. So they're not in sequential order. <clears throat> but each, th- each scene that John sees is really has the theme of victory. Our first scene reveals to us the true superheroes during the tribulation period. They were introduced to us back in the chapter 7, the 144,000 Jewish men, 12,000 from every tribe in Israel. And we recall that they were sealed and protected. And so they have been going around for seven years in the tribulation, telling anyone who would listen the truth of the gospel message. And God will protect them from all the horrors of the judgments that come on this earth, as well as protect them from Antichrist seeking to kill them. What a contrast from chapter 13, which is just the darkness of the unholy trinity. But here in chapter 14, we see believers in worship, and we see victory and song. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of a loud thunder, and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and to the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. So this first scene that we see that John saw is the Lamb is standing. Jesus is on Mount Zion with the 144,000 who have his name in the name of the Father on their foreheads. John has given this vision, and it goes beyond the tribulation period to the establishment of the millennial kingdom that comes right after 
the tribulation. John sees the lamb standing on Mount Zion. This is the place that God has chosen for the lamb to rule during the millennial kingdom. This is Jerusalem. Psalm 2, 6 and 48, 1 through 8, Isaiah 2 all speak of this. So since John sees Jesus standing on Mount Zion, it must mean the tribulation is over and this is the start of the millennial kingdom. But the lamb isn't alone. With him are a group of people introduced to us back in chapter 7 before the seventh seal. These 144,000 are the sealed and protected ones who survived the tribulation. They've made it all the way through. This is a passage that speaks to us of victory. These men all survived the persecution of Antichrist, and here they are standing victorious with the lamb as he begins his reign in the millennial kingdom. If this was a scene in heaven, which I know many believe that it is, so you can have varying opinions, that's fine. But if this were a scene in heaven and 144,000 were there, that would have mean that they would have died in the tribulation, and that God's seal hadn't kept them from death. But we read of the earthly Mount Zion all throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah 11 and 24, Joel 2, Zechariah 14. How miraculous it will be that these men are safe totally unaffected by the horrors of the judgments poured out on the earth, as well as from the attacks from the evil one who wanted to stop all of their evangelistic efforts. No matter how much evil may be in this world, God's purposes will never, ever be thwarted. And that's true for you and me too. What God's called you to do, he will enable you to do. He will make it possible to do. You're not going to die a moment before it's your time that he's planning to take you. People on earth may take the mark of the Antichrist, but these men have a different mark on their foreheads given to them from the Lamb and from the Father. And I remind you, though we are not them and it is not then yet, that the truth still remains that every person who comes to faith in Jesus alone for salvation, we read in Ephesians that we are sealed and protected by the Holy Spirit so that we will arrive also safely home to our heaven and home in heaven one day. Like them, we will arrive finally. So the song of the 144,000. So while watching the lamb on earth, John suddenly hears a voice and noise from heaven. He tries to describe the sound of what he hears. Oh, well, it's similar to waters. It's, it's loud. It's harps like harpists playing harps. And harps in the Bible are always associated with gladness and joy. And the ones singing are filled with joy. There will be loud praise in heaven when Jesus returns to establish his earthly kingdom. This worship is going on in heaven, and John hears it spilling down to earth. So who's singing in heaven? If the 144,000 are on with, with the lamb in Jerusalem, it is a new song about being redeemed, never sung before. This song must be about the unique experience of being a tribulation believer. Those who have experienced the horrors of the tribulation, some delivered by death, others by divine protection. The church can't sing this song because we will have been raptured before it all began. And in verse 3, the only ones who can experientially sing this song are the fellow tribulation saints, the 144,000. We don't know the words of this song, but they must speak of victory and triumph and delivery through the Lamb. It is a song of redemption. And all of these people clearly experienced unbelievable tragedies and sorrows in their lives. But here, on the other side of all that, it was joyful singing, no more sorrow, 
No more pain. No more being hunted down and starving. Now it is a time of triumph and safety. And again, we have that same hope that one day all of our sorrows will be passed and we will finally know joy and victory as we will sing praises as well. So the separation of the 144,000, we see uh, men of, that these are men of incredible integrity. As I read, someone said, they are like 144,000 Daniels going around the earth for seven years, having a huge impact. They will live in such a time that is complete darkness with cult worship and sexual perversion at its most unimaginable worst. But these men will follow the lamb, refusing to be sucked into the world's system of idolatry and immorality. They will be separated to God. They will live holy lives for him. And the truth is that God has always always used people who are separated to him, who stay away from this sinful world and its system. Purity and devotion to Christ should be the experience really of every believer. But in particular, these 144,000 evangelized the world as they were devoted and committed to him totally in obedience to his word. The truth is character matters to God. Being moral and having purity is absolutely critical in being a vessel that God can use. These men are called first fruits as a sign that more fruit is on the way. There will be a great spiritual harvest of Jewish people that will be saved. These witnesses were only the beginning of a great work that God was going to do in this, t- in this time, culminating in Zechariah 12.10 and Romans 11.26 that described the Jewish people looking on him whom they pierced and mourning for him as one mourns for an only son. And then, as Paul said, and then all Israel will be saved. Lies will be propagated throughout all of this tribulation time, but these witnesses are characterized by only speaking truth. They never compromised. They kept themselves morally pure and spiritually clean. So they arrive safely, surviving the tribulation, and all those who come to faith who aren't murdered are going to enter the millennial kingdom. These are filled with a new song, and while going through the trials on earth, as I said, they stayed true to their Messiah. Clearly, we are not them. But every believer should want to be like them, living lives of purity, living lives of victory over sin, living a separated life from this world and its philosophy and the way it thinks and operates. If you know Jesus, then, as I said before, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you have the assurance of victory and a safe arrival to his kingdom in heaven. Next, we see a scene that John sees of angelic messengers. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live in the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. And another angel, a second one, following, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on the forehead or his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. 
and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keeps the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. I remind you of the complete upheaval and devastation going on in the world at this time. And here is a case where every situation, every individual rather, is faced with making the most important decision of their lives. Do they accept the mark of the beast so that they can buy food and get medical care and carry on life? Or do they worship Jesus? No one's going to be able to say, oh, I didn't know that I had a choice. Nor will they be able to say, I knew nothing about Jesus and his offer of salvation. So God gives this divine call to be saved. And this vision John has, he sees an angel flying in mid-heaven, delivering a message to all the citizens on earth. This has never happened before. But now God will use angels to preach the gospel. Right now in our time, God has given this command to you and to me. Every believer is to deliver the gospel message to those we come in contact with. But God has brought about a change in his divine method during the tribulation. And an angel will be able to clearly declare so that everybody can understand in their language, wherever they are in the deepest jungle, fear God, give him glory, and worship him. Antichrist may be killing believers who share the gospel, but Satan and his cohorts can do nothing about an angel flying around in midheaven giving the message of the gospel. The gospel has always been that God saves men by his grace, undeserved favor, through faith alone. God is issuing a divine call to all the people on earth to not worship Antichrist and instead worship the only true God. He alone is the creator, so don't worship the creature. There is a great urgency in this proclamation because judgment is now absolutely imminent. This is the last opportunity given to all people to choose to submit to Jesus and not the Antichrist. For many people, it is still not too late. Can you imagine if you were alive at this time and you heard an angel proclaiming this eternal gospel to fear God and give him glory? The choice is clear. Worship the true God or Antichrist. And while pondering what to do, another angel is sent. And this angel declares that Babylon is fallen. This is the place that made people drink the wine of the passion of her immorality. This is a follow-up message from a second angel. Babylon will be the name of the capital city of Antichrist during the tribulation. It's not just a place. It's a political and economic and religious system all rolled into one. This is the place the Antichrist will operate from. We will see more of this when we get to chapters 17 and 18. This angel is informing people on earth who are making their decision about what they should do that the incredible system of Antichrist is going to completely fall and collapse. So the first Babylon had, as you recall, its roots way back in Genesis 10. You remember when Nimrod organized a rebellion against God and they built a tower we know as the Tower of Babel. Then later in that area, this city, a new city power came, and it was the world power that oppressed all others, as you recall, Babylon. Whether this is some other city or a rebuilt Babylon, 
during the tribulation, this will be the system that Antichrist uses to seduce all the nations of the world. God will destroy Babylon and its false system that Satan used to deceive people and intimidate them. So God sends the second angel to tell them, this Babylon is doomed to destruction. So come to Jesus. Satan in our present day, nothing new. He uses deception to lure people away from God so that they focus on the things of this world. So they focus on the pleasures and the joys and the security they can try to find in this world. It is a choice today as well to turn your back on this world and everything it represents and choose instead to follow Jesus and his word. It is one or the other. It can't ever be both. And so this divine call for salvation will go out to all the inhabitants of the earth, revealing to them how short-lived Babylon's success will be. How merciful and gracious of God to give yet one more opportunity for all mankind on this planet to turn to him. What an amazing God that we serve and worship. And then the future destiny for all who worship the beast is seen in verses 9 through 11. Those who choose the mark of the beast. So you want to know what's going to happen if you do that? Well, this is what's going to happen. Uh, those who take the mar mark of the beast on their forehead or hand will drink the wine of the wrath of God. Mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. So the result will be eternal torment with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels as well as the Lord. So here we see a third angel giving an incredible warning about the reality that awaits all those who choose Antichrist. The choice must be made. But to all who choose to take the mark of the beast, they will be lost forever. We see in verses 10 and 11 the horror of hell. This is a place of the wrath of God and it is 100%. It is not diluted at all. There will be fire and brimstone and noticed no rest ever. It is a torment that never ever ends. God's wrath mixed with his anger in full strength. Pictures like wine which often was diluted with water. But in this case it is how God's wrath will be unleashed and there will be no diluting it. No mercy or compassion mixed in at all. Such hardened, such hardened hearts that would not listen to the evangelists nor to the angels in heavens warning them will find their destiny in hell. A destiny really of all who die without faith in Christ. It is eternal punishment because everyone will have to pay for their own sin and it's not possible. It is a debt that can never be paid. That's why it will be eternal. All in hell are forever banished from having a relationship with God. They can never have fellowship with him. They will never be close to him. But the truth that God is omnipresent means that they will be, not be away from the awareness of his presence. David wrote in the psalm, where can I flee from your, your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. So even in the horror of hell, there will be an awareness of God's sovereignty and omnipresence. All have been warned who dwell on the earth in this time of the great tribulation. All must be warned in our time as well. And we are God's voice to do that. To warn people of eternal judgment in a place called hell. Where smoke and torment goes on forever and ever. But the martyrs who are doubly blessed are seen in verses 12 and 13. John speaks of the perseverance 
of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. These are the ones who are blessed are those who are, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. For all those who come to faith in Jesus in the tribulation, they will be experience horrific suffering, persecution, but they're encouraged, stay strong, face death bravely. They will finally have rest, no more hiding, no more searching for food or water. They will finally reach the other side and not be under the intense pressure of Antichrist. And their deeds and their faithfulness will follow them right into heaven and they'll be rewarded for their obedience. We know from Philippians 1.21, Paul tells us that to die is gain. We all know that. For these tribulation believers, it will be such an incredible relief to be delivered from the pressures of suffering on this planet. And unlike those who worship Antichrist who end up in hell with no rest ever, those who worship the true God have eternal rest waiting for them. So we are not in the tribulation period. We have not heard the angelic messengers encouraging all to choose worship, to worship Jesus. But as you know, each one of us here is responsible to believe and receive the good news of the gospel message that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus alone. His death on the cross was the payment for your sin and my sin. Our faith must be totally in him and what he accomplished on the cross on behalf of sinners like each one of us. Otherwise, a continued path of loving this world, being self-focused, and loving all that the world promotes will end in eternal suffering. I pray that each of you have heard the warning and have run to Jesus to save you. That brings us to the last scene, which is out of sequence, as I said. So now we're at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. The word ripe here in verse 15 is a different word that we're going to see in verse 18. Then he who sat on the clouds swung a sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has the power over fire, came out from, um, from the altar, and he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. Different meaning for the word ripe here. So the angel swung a sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters of the vine from the earth and they threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle, a distance of 200 miles. In these verses, John is given another vision of coming judgment at the very end of the tribulation. This is not hell but a judgment that takes place on earth when Christ will gather all rebellious mankind together and he will crush them with his terrible wrath. It is actually a vision of the final campaign of Armageddon, which will be a series of battles that end with the return of Christ on a white horse with his army as he comes back. That's the second coming to crush the rebels of earth. 
What is used here is the imagery of a farmer in the ancient world, as, as John describes one who judges the earth. John sees someone like the Son of Man sitting on a white cloud. And throughout Scripture, we know Jesus referred to as the Son of Man. As Messiah, he's often referred as referenced in clouds. We Remember, he left in clouds, and he'll come again in the clouds. His title, Son of Man, is referring to his humanity. But he is seen here on clouds, and it points to exalted a deity as he has a golden crown on his head because he is the victor and he is the king. We see Jesus here as victorious, the exalted one coming to judge the earth. He has in his hand a sharp sickle. This term sickle refers to a cutting tool that farmers had for cutting tall grasses and weeds down. So Jesus is coming with a cutting instrument in his hand, a sharp sickle, because the judgment is so severe. And judgment is announced in verse 15. So while John is seeing this Christ in this vision, now he sees another angel in addition to the angels he'd seen flying through the heavens. This angel cries out to the Son of Man to thrust in his sickle and reap. The time of judgment has come. This angel comes out of the temple in heaven where the throne of God is. This is not an angel um, coming to tell Jesus what to do. This is an angel bringing a message from God the Father that it is time for the final judgment. So this angel uh, delivers the message to him. The hour has come. The harvest on earth is ripe. Verse 15, the word ripe means to become dried up or withered. It is a picture of fruit that has become so ripe that it's just started drying up. And in other words, God's judgment is so long has it been waiting and now it is due he has shown mercy and patience as he has waited, as he has watched. But the time has now come for his wrath to be poured out on the people of earth. As we've seen, mercy always precedes wrath. Verse 16, we see that Jesus hears the message and judges. At the end of the tribulation, only after the world has rejected 144,000 men sharing the gospel, the two witnesses, Gentile and Jewish believers who are sharing the gospel before they're murdered, Angels flying through the sky, telling them the truth. After all that, the Son of Man, man then will swing his sickle into the earth and cut down the rebels of this world. And the harvest is great. We read in 17 and 18 that this reaping and crushing of the earth is at the final campaign of Armageddon, and it's done by Christ through angels that assist him as well. We know from John 5:22 that all judgment has been given to Christ by the Father. So here Christ will use angels to help him as he judges mankind. First one angel comes out of the temple in heaven. He has a sharp sickle like Christ has. And this judgment will be so severe as God's wrath is poured out. Then in verse 18, another angel appears exhorting the angel with the sharp sickle to put in your sharp sickle. This angel comes from the altar where we saw back in chapter 6 the promise that judgment will finally be fulfilled. So this angel is told to put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. And the world here is pictures, pictured as a cluster of grapes attached to a vine. These grapes are ripe, but this is a different word for ripe than what we saw in 15. This ripe means fully grown or in their absolute prime. Grapes that are about to burst because they are so fully ripe. So the picture here is that mankind are like these grapes bursting forth with their incredible corruption and ready to be gathered. God is going to execute judgment on this world at this moment because the harvest is ripe. Sin has completely run 
its evil course. God is waiting for Christ to return because evil has not fully yet run its course, but when it is complete, now the judgment comes with severity. As the angels swing the sickle to earth, the clusters from the vine are thrown into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Such visual pictures here. A graphic picture of Jesus. You know, we think of people, Lucy, <laughs> smashing grapes to make wine, right? But you know what? Jesus is not crushing grapes. It's people. And it's not wine. It's blood from the people. The blood will reach the height of the horse's bridle for about 200 miles. Millions of people will gather to fight against the Lord. They will be incited to come together as the world gathers at Armageddon for the last battle to destroy Israel and to fight Jesus. This is going to be a slaughter and a bloodbath like never before. Jesus will return with this judgment and Christ will cause the blood to splatter up to the horse's bridle over this entire battlefield. The time that this takes place is seen in Revelation 19:15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. This is the second coming of Jesus on a white horse with his army behind him as he comes back and wages war. This passage is a preview of that event. Unbelieving mankind will face such a horrific future. How important then, ladies, our role at this time in our little window in human history to tell people about future judgment. A good verse that warns everyone is Psalm 212. Do homage to the Son so he, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. So as we celebrate the fact that Jesus came into the world the first time as a frail, humble, little baby, let's not forget who he is right now. We've just seen who he is right now. So let each of us worship him as he deserves and embrace the life-giving sacrifice that he has made for sinners like us. The time of decision is now. If he is your savior, I encourage you to live a life set apart. And how do you do that? You walk in obedience to his word. So when you scream and yell and lose your temper, you repent, you ask forgiveness. When you are angry with somebody, you forgive them. You don't carry on a life of living like our world. You repent. You get back on track. You live separated to him because his word is the authority of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have chosen to reveal to us what the end of the age looks like. And all of this must happen before the eternal state is ushered in. I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season, when maybe people who don't know you are a little more open to hearing about you, Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to make and guide conversations to the truth about why you ever came in the first place and the fact that you're coming again only it won't be like a little baby it will be to judge the earth i pray lord you help us to have courage to speak the truth boldly and i pray that we would live lives separated to you just like these amazing 
men will do it during the tribulation, Lord. We're in a wicked world. We're in a world that hates you. And I pray that we would have the courage to speak up for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh.